Hey guys, are you ready for another round of disturbing things I've found? This time we've got six disturbing things hikers have found in the woods that I think will be very interesting to say the least. I do wish we could have figured out more about some of these, especially the bloody backpack or the burnt out truck. But don't worry, there's still plenty to go around. From demonic statues to lake monsters, ghosts, and death, there's plenty in this week's episode. The only thing I need is about 20 minutes of your time and you to slap that like button silly, subscribe if you're new, and get ready for some disturbing things found by hikers. This first one I'd like to cover today is short, but um, not so sweet. It comes straight from a Reddit thread, and since it's only a comment, I can't make the classic lame OP didn't follow through comment. You know that oddly irresistible subreddit? Ask Reddit. Well, someone asked, What is the spookiest, most downright disturbing thing you've ever found while out in the woods? As many of you know, that is a question we pose a lot here in the swamp. So I thought it would be a good idea to browse the responses and see what we could come up with. And that's how I found this hidden gem. The user who initially made this comment has since deleted their account, but luckily enough, Reddit keeps those comments archived for us to still see. Allegedly, this user found a bloody backpack with a heavily termite-damaged book nearby. Once they lifted the backpack off the ground, it had clearly been there for a long time because it left such an indentation in the ground. Upon rummaging inside the bag, they found some mint condition notebooks and a decaying binder still inside. The Redditor then left these items behind and proceeded to go and get their parents. But once they returned, the only thing left behind to prove evidence that there was anything there at all were footprints. The backpack and all the contents were absolutely gone. Not even the termites remains left behind. Sure, now there's always the possibility that this story is bogus, but it wouldn't be as much fun to speculate a hoax, so let's give it the benefit of the doubt for now. If we assume they really did find the bloody backpack and the contents inside, how could they possibly vanish so quickly? Especially if their footprints had confirmed that they had indeed come back to the right spot. The original owner, suddenly and swiftly retrieving those items, would be quite coincidental to say the least. Though, even if that were true, it would be one for the ages. And assuming this owner did somehow swiftly come in, grab their stuff and leave, how does it explain that the indentation and even the bugs alongside of it are gone? It's like, what did he do? Come up with some chopsticks, grab up every little grub? Like, what is happening? If true, this find is quite the puzzle. After years of researching different supernatural sightings and phenomenon, I can't really remember a single instance of ghostly items up and vanishing. That's what it sounds like, doesn't it? It almost feels like the bag and items were never really there in the first place, if you understand what I'm getting at. Maybe the commenter was simply suffering from mental illness and had a temporary break from reality. Either way, there is no denying that it would be one hell of a disturbing experience. The next story was told on Lilith Dredge channel and was picked up by a local Minnesota newspaper. The story concerns a woman and her dog named Daisy, who used to enjoy the solitude of hiking around Lake Vermilion, just not so much anymore. 
On their last visit, while getting out of the car, Daisy took off and ran down their usual trail, her leash dragging right on behind her. The hiker chased after her, but by the time she made it to the trail, Daisy was nowhere to be seen. She stopped and tried to listen, trying to hear any sound of which direction Daisy may have took off in. But there was only silence. After calling for her dog several times, she began to hear the sound of twigs and something breaking right off in the distance. The thing that's freaky about this, though, is that it was coming from above her. She turned around, expecting maybe to see Daisy chasing a squirrel. But instead, when she looked up, she saw something horrific. Clinging to the nearby branches was the claw of a massive creature. They describe it as being muscular and at least seven feet tall. And allegedly, this thing was staring right at her. They described its face as being hairy and the shape of its head just being wrong. It had a snout instead of a nose, and its fangs jutted out of its mouth as it snarled. Yet there was almost something human about its eyes. They locked gazes for just a moment before it suddenly turned its head and started sniffing the air all around it. That's the moment Daisy returned, still full of energy as ever, and the creature then set its sights on her. The hiker understandably feared for her dog's life and stood between the two, fearing the absolute worst. The moment Daisy reached her owner, the creature let out this shrill, almost human-like scream. All at once, the hiker started screaming, the dog started barking, everything just seemed to be on sensory overload. This is when the creature apparently leapt from the branches, charging straight towards the helpless duo, and ultimately, for whatever terrifying reason, right on past them into the woods. They both just stood there absolutely shocked, not knowing what to do, as this creature just vanished into the forest, never to be seen or allegedly heard from again. Minutes later, the sound of an animal dying could be heard, and the hiker, no longer frozen in fear, got Daisy and herself back into the car and and got the heck out of there. Since telling her story, many people have speculated it is the legendary dog man that she encountered that day. And being somebody with a little bit of experience in that topic, I can definitely tell you it does sound like a classic dog man encounter. Though the majority of sightings do tend to focus around Wisconsin and Michigan, Minnesota is better known for its Wendigo and Sasquatch stories, but nonetheless, you do see some dogman encounters happening in that area. Regardless, as with most of these cases, we'll never for sure know the truth behind this matter, but we'll have one hell of a good time guessing. Next up is something from New York. A hiker happened upon a super creepy statue at Bear Mountain State Park, which I actually have another video on that state park coming out soon on another creepy happening from there. This park consists of over 5,200 acres on the West Hudson River in Rockland and Orange counties, and it's more than 50 trails stretch over 235 miles. People go hiking, biking, picnicking, boating, you name it. They apparently even have a zoo, skating rink, and museum, among other attractions. We're just scratching the surface here, guys. 
Safe to say there's no shortage of things to do in this state park, that's for sure. Though, locals aren't surprised by strange activities and happenings that seemingly go down in this park. This particular instance we're gonna cover stands out as quite unique. A man discovered a strange sculpture atop the mountain near the Circle Line dock while trekking through the Hudson Valley. Scary statues may not seem that unusual, I guess, but this thing is literally just set into the side of a mountain, overlooking the river ominously. Yet, most local residents who had lived there their whole lives had no idea this thing even existed. It is indeed a giant sculpture of an elk's head, and a deep gash runs down the face like a teardrop. The hiker who discovered it just knew he had to take pictures of this once-in-a-lifetime find. And these pictures you are seeing now would circulate the web all over the place. Reddit, Facebook, Google. People were absolutely puzzled by this thing and why it wasn't a well-known local attraction. The hiker also noted that there was a power outlet built into the side of it as if it were lit up at one time. So who knows, maybe it had lights. I don't know how nobody's checked out what that does yet. I would need to know. I also find it hard to believe that there's not much of a record of why, who, or what put it there. There's no way to know exactly how long it's been there or how long it's been around in general. Well, other than the fact that it was clearly commissioned after the invention of outlets. But we can be fairly certain that it's not something that's new. Swamp Dweller from the future here cutting in. I did find another image in a little bit that said that this was commissioned in 1935. It's kind of hard to tell if this is the same plaque that's in this picture but if that is the case then it shows us who commissioned it but it still doesn't tell us who made it what it is or what it really means but um that is some extra information i want to throw in maybe someone will eventually be curious enough to plug that baby in and see what she does until then we are once again left to speculate cults always do seem to be a fun go-to for things like this right could the statue have been used for some sort of worship purposes shoot stranger things have happened in the world For our fourth slot, we have a good old-fashioned ghost sighting. Well, alleged, but aren't they all? This one is from Dundas Peak in Ontario, Canada. And like most ghost stories in this day and age, it began on Reddit. A user by the name of Sliced Up Beef posted some absolutely breathtaking Canadian landscape pictures. And the one we're here to discuss today ended up going absolutely viral. The picture was actually inspired by a friend's cousin who had went a few days prior and took a similar picture. But apparently, the cousin's group didn't walk away with a spectral photobomb. At first, the picture does appear completely normal. A man is just sitting on the cliff's edge, minding his business, enjoying the scenery. The picturesque mountainside fills the background of the image. But if you take your attention to the center of this image, you'll begin to see something more ghostly appear. The cliffside is practically a sheer drop. Below this trail are only tiny little ledges, too small to stand on. Yet, if you look closely, you'll see what looks to be a rectangular white shape standing on those exact ledges. After enhancing the image, it becomes clear that this is the silhouette of a human being, standing unnaturally straight with no discerning features on the face. Now, before you formulate your own opinion, let me tell you about one of this post comments. Username the architect 42 responded that it could have actually have been them. 
They were allegedly in that location around the same time this image was taken, and their clothing would have matched what was seen in the image. They also go on to clarify that the area is actually more accessible than sliced up beef made people believe it was. There are actual parts of the trail that go off and venture into that area, apparently. I wouldn't know from first-hand knowledge, I'm just taking this guy's word, okay? The comment ends with the commenter promising they would come through more of their photos after work and, and to see if they could confirm, but I've never seen any follow-up after this, so unfortunately it's probably a dead end. Numerous reports also started connecting this photo to a missing persons report in Canada, but when Snopes did a conclusive investigation, they determined the two issues were combined together to conflate the issue but had no actual relevance. So basically a publicity stunt to try to generate more traction. What do you think? Was it a, a camera malfunction? Was it a ghost? Was it Architect 42? Even though they never came back with an update with photo evidence doesn't mean it wasn't them. Or maybe it was somebody else in the area that did find access to that area. Your guess is genuinely as good as mine. Our fifth story was all over the place when it first happened, and I personally remember reading into this early on in my YouTube career. So some of you may actually remember this one. On October 3rd, 2016, the day after your boy Swamp Dweller's birthday here, YouTuber James Rankin was hiking at Long Island's Berkeley Jackson County Park when he discovered an incredibly unsettling scene. His channel was named Dateline420, and the content is fairly casual. It's a mixture of vlogging with tutorials and urban exploration. Cool stuff. On this particular day, though, he discovered a group of trees inside a small valley with tons of missing persons flyers nailed to them. The area looked entirely secluded like not many or if anyone ever really went there. The way the landscape looks is described as if it were like a perfect bull scooped out from the earth. It was like a scene from a horror movie that existed within the confines of these walls. These missing person cases were actual real cases all over the country, and most of them, if not all of them, were all active. To make it even stranger, there was a strange pattern of symmetry between how they were hung to each of the branches. Rankin continued to hike on and film with his knife in his hand, getting closer to various different posters to get a good shot of them. Most of them were old and worn, so that indicated this shrine potentially had been abandoned for quite some time. At the very least, this thing had been here for several weeks, maybe even months. Being surrounded by the high walls of earth, the hiker started to feel a little uncomfortable, as I'm sure we all would if we stumbled upon this. They couldn't help but think how easy it would to sit on the top of these walls and just shoot down and kill people. Not wanting to expose himself any longer to the potential person lurking around who was responsible for this scene, they skedaddled out of there. Afterwards, Rankin did eventually return to market on Google Maps to show authorities. Snitch! The YouTuber clearly believed he had stumbled into some sort of serial killer's playground, or at the very least some sort of sicko shrine. But once officers spoke to the property owners, apparently a much different story would arise. They actually learned that these posters were apparently a part of the landowner's Halloween decor. While the police found this to be an acceptable answer, Rankin and many others disagree. It seems kind of uh, convenient to say it was just 
just some sort of decor, and maybe it was connected to something more, um, sinister. Then there's obviously the question, who uses real missing persons cases as props? Later, he would even add an update stating, I've been told through the grapevine that supposedly the residents adjacent to the property are erecting a privacy fence with signs that say no trespassing. Is it just me? Or does it seem like they're trying to block off the area so no random people could come back from filming and cause a media flurry? You know, instead of just fearing the neighbors, as Rankin's response seems to imply. When the video was later uploaded, it was shared thousands of times and can still be found on Facebook to this day. Eventually, Snopes did conduct their own investigation of this case. Suffolk County Police Department did indeed confirm that Rankin was out there filming on private property without permission. The owners never expected anyone but the invited guest to see the setup and they definitely didn't foresee it becoming major headline news all across the country. As always, I've saved the best for last. Or worst, depending on how you look at it. Anyway, on November 17th, 2019, Marshall Iwasa, a student at Southern Alberta Institute of Technology, drove from Calgary to Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada, to help his mother finish a few technical issues with her house. He left there at around 11 p.m. and made a stop at a storage locker, though since the facility was closed, he was unable to gain access to it. Apparently, from what I'm able to understand, they waited around until 6 a.m. when it opened, and then he was there for about two and a half hours, but he didn't remove a single item from his storage locker, and there is no video footage of him leaving the area, but he was never seen or heard from ever again. His family believed that he had returned to school for the fall semester, but that wasn't the case, and no one's quite sure why he hid the news, but after he vanished, they soon learned he was no longer attending the school. His sister Paige lived in Hawaii at the time, and though they were very close, she was unaware of any major stress factors in his life currently. However, she did later realize that her brother may have been dropping hints. He said things alluding to his field being more about who you knew than what you knew. Ultimately, she does believe he would have gotten around to telling the family about the school and really didn't believe it was a factor in his disappearance. There really didn't seem to be any discernible reason why he would just up and run away. In an interview, she described her brother as being quiet, gentle, and kind. As children, they would joke that she sucked up all the aggression out of the womb because he was so nice. Paige last saw her brother at a family reunion that August, just a few months before his disappearance, and she did leave some items with her, and she did leave some items over at his place for him to put it in his storage unit. Could that possibly be why he was there that November? On the 23rd, six days after his last known sighting, a group of hikers discovered Marshall's burnt-out truck on a logging trail nearly 750 miles away. It's not marked on the GPS and requires four-wheel drive to even access it with any type of vehicle, so it's not really a place you would know about unless you're very familiar with the area. 
The truck was quite simply fried to a crisp. Items still inside in the steering column missing, along with various other parts assumably scrapped. Marshall was absolutely nowhere to be found, but articles of clothing, a PlayStation, even an Xbox were found on the scene. There were various other items scattered around as well, as you can see from this image. Though the gaming systems were empty shells, void of anything that made them valuable, or held any sort of information about who owned them, they simply knew these items did not belong to their victim. It's also noteworthy to mention that the hikers who initially found the area took several pictures and this really helped officials initially on in their investigation. Yet, oddly enough, when the RCMP arrived, some of the stuff that was shown in the original pictures were no longer there, nor did they ever find Marshall's contact lenses, backpack, laptop, wallet, or his most recent cell phone. Authorities interviewed friends and family, and they of course all said this was incredibly uncharacteristic for Marshall. No one could seemingly think of any reason why his truck would be found 750 miles away, burnt in the middle of some incredibly secluded woods, or why this random stuff that wasn't his was seemingly there. They also have no idea why he would run away if he ran away. And if he did run away, why would he do all of this? His financial trail ends on November 15th, meaning he didn't purchase any gas with some sort of credit card, debit card, etc. And considering how far he drove, he would have had to have stopped to fill up quite a few times, and I find it very hard that he had that amount of cash on him without anybody knowing. Plus, at the very least, we would have caught him on surveillance somewhere, right? Most gas stations this day and age, and even at that time, had CCTV footage for sure. But he simply just wasn't caught on any of that footage, and it's very likely it wasn't him driving that truck. Multiple other men have gone missing in that area under very similar circumstances that are just as strange, some of which have also had their vehicles burned out. Of Daniel Rioche, Luke Neville, Richard Skurr, Ryan Proventure, Ryan Schutka, and Ben Tyner, two were found dead and the rest remain missing, just like Marshall. Despite how clear-cut this case may seem to be, the RCMP somehow do not view this as a criminal matter. They did preserve the items found at the scene, but none of them were tested. At least, not that they have made aware to the public. Marshall's family have pushed authorities hard to investigate the fire, and even that took several months of fighting. And even when they did that, no new clues were uncovered, unfortunately. And this matter is still not classed as criminal. The Lethbridge Police Service eventually did look into the case by themselves, and likewise came up empty-handed. How many more people need to go missing in one place before something definitive can actually go on here? Considering how much potential information authorities have held back in this case, it's very unlikely that it's going to be solved anytime soon. A lot of citizens speculate that the authorities know much more than they're letting on, and they simply don't want to tip their hand. But as with most things, only time will tell. Well, that's it, Swamp Folk. As promised, this has been six disturbing things found by hikers. And with a little bit of patience and some time, I'm sure there will be many more to come. Seriously, what did you think about that last one, though? That is such a strange case, and it seems to connect to others. Maybe I need to do a video just on that. 
I just feel like we haven't heard the end of that one. It's hard to deny that nothing's going on when you have so many missing men, multiple burnt out vehicles, it seems like a pattern to me. Anyways, comment down below letting me know your thoughts and ideas for future things you'd like to see me find that are disturbing. Especially if it's in the outdoors, I'm always looking for more of those. Be sure to slap that like button like it owes you money, subscribe if you're new as it helps us grow, and I'll see you soon with another creepy episode. Welcome back, Swamp Folk. Everyone doing okay? I hope you are. Hopefully you're at least doing better than the guys on our list for today. If not, well, I don't know. But we'll be sure to send some good vibes your way, because today we're discussing five disturbing animal attacks on park rangers, and some of these get pretty brutal. As always, I'll be taking you through a light-hearted journey on a not very light topic, but first I do want to begin on a very serious note that's close to my heart, and hopefully yours as well. Most of you have probably seen the Netflix documentary series Tiger King. So you may already be aware that our country has a tendency to domesticate, and I use that term very loosely, exotic animals such as tigers and monkeys. This is a huge problem unto itself, but there's an even bigger problem behind it. Yes, many of these animals are the result of breeding, but there are countless more being brought in by poachers and their journey is unspeakably cruel. Sadly, just as many are slaughtered for their hides and horns, but animals aren't the only victims of poaching. Statistics show, on average, two park rangers are killed by poachers each week worldwide, but some experts believe that the number may be much higher. Of course, that's not including other park personnel or civilians. Each year, that totals over 100 human deaths on top of an already heinous crime. Yet, there is so little awareness surrounding the issue. The men and women losing their lives while trying to protect these animals deserve our recognition and gratitude. While yes, we may have a few jokes bordering on inappropriate throughout today's video, please don't lose sight of the real message. Hungry Hungry Komodo Dragon This first story is an exotic one. We're starting off in Rincha Island in Indonesia, Komodo National Park to be exact. According to the Canberra Times, Komodo dragons have lived on the islands of Indonesia, completely isolated from predators for about a million years. At the time of this article in 2021, there were an estimated 5,000 dragons living in the park. They most commonly eat deer, buffalo, goats, and birds. Sometimes they'll eat their prey whole, while other times they'll poison it with a venomous bite and stalk their dinner until it dies, even if that takes three weeks' time. In 2009, a ranger named Mian arrived at his office located inside a small wooden building in the main camp. Nothing seemed out of ordinary until he sat at his desk and happened to look down to see a Komodo dragon next to his leg. Mian would later learn a cleaner had left the door open, allowing the Komodo to enter in search of food. Now it seemed to find some. To make matters even more terrifying, the ranger was only wearing sandals. His feet were his only weapon and they were completely unprotected. He knew if he didn't get his leg away, the dragon would bite it and swallow. Very carefully, he tried to pull his leg back, but the dragon followed, and Mian knew he was in trouble when its tail moved to strike from the other side. He pulled his leg back too fast and became trapped beneath the desk. That's when the Komodo clamped down and refused to let go. Its teeth were ripping into Mian's flesh. Thinking fast, he managed to pin the beast down slightly by putting his free foot onto its neck. 
Using his free hand, he was miraculously able to pull the animal's mouth open, thereby freeing his leg, but his hand was now also bitten during the struggle. All the while, Mian was shouting for help and other rangers rushed to his aid, but to their horror, more Komodo dragons were also close behind. Lured by the smell of blood, some rangers tried to keep the new arrivals under control while two others hurried to assist Mian with the Komodo inside. These creatures can seem docile most of the time, but they're actually merely conserving energy. They're actually quite fast when attacking. In normal situations, park staff would simply use a stick to push the dragon aside or flee. Any further engagement would simply be unthinkable. Mian estimated there were seven additional dragons waiting when he finally emerged from the building. One friend pushed them away with the stick while another helped him awaiting transportation. After a short boat ride, Mian was taken to a hospital on Flores Island before being flown to Bali where he received six hours of emergency medical treatment. He was required to stay in Bali for an additional week before returning to Flores Island for six months of recovery. Eventually, he also resumed his job at the Komodo National Park, though he only does desk duty, an understandable choice if not a slightly ironic decision. You know, considering how it actually happened. The dragon that bit him was still living as of July 2021, and though Mian was unable to tell it apart from the others, he does believe its smaller size was the only reason he's still alive today. Though he suffers from terrible nightmares and doesn't enjoy reliving the incident, he hopes that sharing his story will help spread awareness to the dangers of Komodo dragons. Bull Elk Bulldozer Next up we have one of our favorite locations, Yellowstone National Park, where the bull elk use cars for fighting practice. Usually, when we hear of an animal attack in a national park, we can't help but to wonder what role the victim played. Did they get within selfie range of a moose? Did they try to hand feed a bear? You never know what you're going to get, but sometimes wild animals are just going to be wild animals. On this occasion, a bull elk made its way into a Yellowstone National Park parking lot, and, well, here's what an eyewitness said in a Whiskey Riff interview. This happened on September 10th, 2021, when my family and I took a vacation to Yellowstone National Park. We were on our way back to the Airbnb when we saw a lot of park rangers trying to keep people at a certain distance. So I drove back around and parked right in front of the elk. It is during the rutting season, so the males were hyper-aggressive. He lunged at two cars before ramming into the ranger's vehicle. In the video, the elk is clearly unimpressed as it scans its surroundings and one car can be seen backing away before it's far too late. But then the animal launches itself toward in a full charge, colliding directly into the side of a park ranger's vehicle. Rutting season is no joke, and this was at its peak. Typically, the season lasts from September to October, but sometimes it can begin as early as August. Battling over mates is a common occurrence among North American bull elk, and sometimes they're even fatal. In this overly aggressive state, anything can be seen as a challenger be it animal, human, or even a car. Honestly, we're lucky it was only a vehicle and not a person. It could easily have gone the other way. Just let this be a lesson to you. If you plan to visit Yellowstone, try to make sure it's not during rutting season. Grizzly Mama Next up, we have a good old-fashioned bear attack. And no, when animals attack video is complete without at least one, right? Seriously, it's the law. 
There's no lack of potential encounters, either. In fact, you may very well be seeing a dedicated bear attack episode in the future, but for now, I want to tell you about Canadian Park Ranger Jordan Carberry. In July 2018, Jordan was 50 years old, living in Bella Coola, British Columbia, when he found himself in a fight for his life. He was outside of his home early on a Tuesday morning when he noticed a couple of bear cubs sitting in a cherry tree and their mother, who was nearby. He had just taken a picture of the mother when a branch snapped, one of the cubs came crashing to the ground, the fall triggered the overprotective mother, and she charged directly at Carberry. A bear will usually display certain signs before going on the attack, but there was no lip smacking or loud huffs to give warning in this case. Also, since grizzly bears can run up to an astonishing 35 miles per hour, Jordan believed he was done for. The New York Post quotes the ranger as saying, She had her eyes locked on me, and she was coming for me. I instantly turned and tried to get back into the house. All of a sudden, I just got tackled from behind and was sent flying. It felt like two football players tackling me at the same time. The grizzly bear was suddenly on top of Jordan, wrapping her jaws around his head and lifting him with her mouth. That's when part of his ear and part of his scalp tore free and he fell to the ground. But Mama Bear wasn't quite finished. She then lifted him by his thigh and dropped him a few more times for good measure. Carberry loved bears before this incident, and as a park ranger, he had recently taken a defensive training class where he learned what to do during such an occasion. He estimates landing at least three kicks to the bear's face before finally regaining his feet and taking a few swings. He was aiming for her snout, but he missed each attempt. Jordan later stated, She was like a prize boxer. She was so fast. Though, he wasn't able to land a punch, he did gain enough distance from the bear to run the 40 feet back to his house. Don't forget this guy had been lifted by his thigh and dropped multiple times. That's the power of adrenaline for you. Some sources state he didn't have cell reception, while others state he lost his phone in the scuffle itself. But regardless of why he couldn't call for help, Carberry was forced to drive himself on a 10-minute trip to the hospital. After grabbing his keys, he had to make it to his vehicle while the bear was still just outside. When he made a run for it, the grizzly did charge at him again, but thankfully she didn't commit. During the drive, Jordan continuously repeated, Don't pass out. Don't pass out. You guys remember the part about a scalp tearing, right? This wasn't even his main concern. He caught a glimpse of his body form in the mirror and in his own words, I was mostly concerned with my abdomen because I thought she had split me open. I thought my guts were hanging out. Upon arrival, he was transferred to Vancouver General Hospital where he underwent surgery for umbilical hernias. That's when the intestine protrudes through the muscle at the belly button. His other injuries included a severed ear, a torn scalp, and several puncture wounds from the bear's canines. You can actually view pictures on American Shooting Journal, but YouTube will get upset if I include them here. So, you can find a link down in the description if you are interested. By all accounts, he seems to have handled the entire trauma like a champ, though. After a two-week recovery in the hospital, where he constantly kept the doctors and nurses laughing, he was finally able to return home. He felt incredibly lucky to be alive and made lighthearted jokes on Facebook such as, Good thing I have such a thick skull. A CBC article mentions volunteers picked the fruit from Carberry's trees to make it safer. While there, they collected a video revealing up to eight bears were frequenting the ranger's yard. The Conservation Office Service decided to not euthanize the bear because she was merely protecting her cubs and hasn't posed any other public safety threats. This was a decision Carberry wholeheartedly agreed with, stating, It was me dropping my guard in grizzly country, which you can never do. 
I did it because I was so close to my house, and I learned a big lesson. Chimps Gone Wild Our number four slot takes us to the Jane Goodall Institute Chimpanzee Eden in South Africa. In June of 2012, Ranger Andrew Oberle, 26 years old, was leading a tour when two chimpanzees suddenly grabbed his feet and pulled him beneath a fence. Andrew was savagely mauled and dragged for nearly a kilometer into their enclosure. The sanctuary's director, Eugene Cousins, fired a shot into the air, scaring the animals back into their enclosure. Chimp Eden effectively went into lockdown while investigation took place to determine if the animals would be destroyed. The sanctuary's official statement read, Chimpanzees are wild animals and are defensive of their territories. Any interaction between humans and wild animals can be dangerous. The chimpanzees at Chimp Eden have suffered horrible injuries and abuse from humans and therefore have been treated with caution. After undergoing surgery, Andrew remained in critical condition at Nail Spruit Hospital where he was treated for the lost part of an ear, parts of his fingers, and at the time of his attack, he was studying for his master's degree in anthropology and primatology at the University of Texas in San Antonio. The executive director of the institute, David Devos Usthusian, spoke with the Toronto Star to confirm Andrew's injuries were quite extensive and that this was the first incident of its kind since the park's opening in 2006. Killer Elephant As always, I've saved the wildest story for last. In an eastern province in Thailand, last September, two men were killed over a three-day period by a rogue elephant. I just want to add a quick disclaimer that I'm probably going to accidentally pronounce the names and villages wrong. I know it, you know it, let's not make a thing of it, okay? For around five months, an elephant from the Tapalan National Park was raiding villages and farms for food in Tambon Kang Sidu. According to the Bangkok Post, it was happening almost daily, and as one would imagine, the damage was massive and widespread. Finally, after two people were seriously injured, a park ranger by the name of Arthit Fiengwam led volunteers into an attempt to drive the elephant away. On a Sunday, September 11, 2022, the village chief, Saraya Uterapas, the park ranger, and other volunteers rushed to confront the elephant. The ranger attempted to scare the beast away with firecrackers, but it retaliated, and the ranger was unable to move away in time. As a result, he was stomped into the ground until his body was basically half-buried, gravely wounded, as he rushed to Nadi Hospital, where he was later pronounced dead. Also, I do want to note that while the Bangkok Post refers to this incident as a single elephant, other articles do state that it was a herd of elephants. Of course, it's always possible we're losing something in translation, but just a quick FYI before we move on to the second incident. Just two days later, on the 13th, a group of rangers from Klong Kura Wai Wildlife Sanctuary were trying to clear out six elephants at the Longan Plantation in eastern Shanthaburi, and 42-year-old park ranger Somfab Shri Nam was among the group. The reports state that the ranger didn't realize one of the elephants stood only a mere 30 meters away. When the animal noticed him, he was taken off guard and unable to escape. His body was later transferred to Pong Namron District Hospital to undergo an autopsy. 
I don't understand why an autopsy was necessary, but Thai PBS World seems confident that that's how it's happened. Shortly after these incidents, Fadette Lythong, director of the Wildlife Conservation Office, felt the park rangers were in desperate need of modern equipment and was able to procure 30 night vision binoculars to kickstart the process. He also wished to stress that only some elephants pose a threat to humans, the majority are not aggressive. Well, Swamp Folk, that's today's video. Let me know what you think in the comments. I'd love to know if you'd like to see more videos based on animal attacks. And trust me, there is no shortage of wild animal attacks out there. If this is something you'd like to see more, let me know. I think the grizzly is what got me the most. Just the idea of having your ear and scalp torn off. You know, it just sounds terrible. Of course, randomly being pulled beneath a fence and dragged away by two chimps is fairly brutal too. But then that elephant, I mean, can you imagine being stomped to the ground by one of those giant towering beasts? Anyway, it's that time again. Do all the dirty stuffs to those buttons. Be sure to subscribe if you're new, and stay tuned for what's coming next. I upload almost every single day in all things natural and supernatural. If you have a story or an encounter or a true crime case you'd like to see me cover, send it on in at swampdweller.net, because if you don't, Shrek will come to your house, and it won't be for a tea party. So, hopefully we understand each other, my friend. Great, see you next time, peace out. Today I thought it would be fun to talk about some disturbing things that park rangers have found while out on the job. Now I know, this is a different video, I'm on camera, and it's a little bit different, but hopefully you'll enjoy it and stick with me. With the exception of a case from 2019, everything we're going to be covering in this video has happened rather recently, within the past six months or so. And seriously, to all my Swamp Dweller family out there, these park rangers have some truly horrendous jobs sometimes. Some of the things we're going to discuss, if I found personally, would definitely be quitting the job. Just know, if you're a park ranger or an ex-park ranger, I respect the hell out of you. Just be safe out there on the job. I don't want to have any of these stories be about you. But, if you do encounter something disturbing while out there on the job, you know who to send it to. I'm trying to make this a regular series. The Foot in Yellowstone National Park. I thought we'd dive into something that happened actually only a few weeks ago. Maybe only a month ago at most. If Wyoming is known for anything, it's definitely its beautiful park of Yellowstone. Yellowstone National Park was discovered in 1872 and boasts an unfathomable size of 2.2 million acres. And according to the Park Service website, it has the most natural geysers in a single area anywhere in the world. The dangers of Yellowstone really can't be stressed enough though. Aside from the supervolcano, if you spent any time on this channel, you know there's plenty of legends that go on about that park. With such vast areas of untouched wilderness, you know there are a few secrets lying about. Yet, it's no surprise that Yellowstone is one of the most breathtaking places in the entire country. So of course, it's become one of the top tourist places to visit all across the country. Now, whether any of these legends actually have anything to do with the human foot found around this natural geyser called the West Thumb Geyser Basin is up for debate. But we do have a little bit more information to share. According to KSL News Radio, Chris Quinn was visiting Yellowstone with his family on August 11th when they spotted a shoe floating sole up in the hot springs. Obviously concerned, he took a picture and sent it over to the park service. Whether the email was disregarded or the shoe simply wasn't found isn't specified, but nothing came of Quinn's email. Then on August 16th, everything would change. 
An employee would find a very mysterious shoe. It was complete with a foot still inside, found floating in the abyss pools. This particular hot spring is over 50 feet deep, so making it very dangerous. It's one of the deepest in the entire park, and it can reach up to temperatures of 140 degrees. Now that's a freaking boiling bath. The area was crossed off to be investigated, of course, and cleaned up. Authorities quickly ruled out foul play, believing the foot might actually be related to a death from July lie. Guys, I read so many articles and I still can't really figure out what they're referring to. But aside from what happened apparently on July 31st, no real information has really been released. Obviously, I'm not a professional researcher, but I did Google some articles from the time and from the area. I was hoping to find some sort of mention of the incident, maybe some sort of obituary, and I couldn't even come up with a victim's name. When the park service was inquired about this email that they received from Chris Quinn, spokesperson Linda Vares could not confirm or deny if it was the same foot that had been reported that they had found. But I think it's pretty coincidental at the very least. In all honesty, it just kind of seems like a lame way of saying we messed up without saying we messed up. Luckily, with this being such a recent case, there may be some updates coming in a future video very soon. The Truck in the Reservoir our next story is also from just a few weeks ago. I would say this is less mysterious and more everything else. Joe Donnell was a park ranger and emergency responder for 25 years, but is now currently retired. On August 22nd, he was merely enjoying his time at Morehouse Reservoir in Summit County, Utah, when something went terribly wrong. He and his family were near a boat ramp when they discovered a truck started rolling into the ramp, going straight into the water. Though he couldn't see inside the truck at all, he could see people chasing after it straight into the water. They were yelling and screaming and just freaking out. Upon approaching, he would learn some absolutely horrifying news. The parents and grandfather of a nine-year-old boy and a two-year-old girl were unloading their kayaks from their Dodge pickup truck, as you would when suddenly the vehicle began to lurch forward with both of the children still inside. Luckily, one of the boys were able to escape without the assistance from anybody. Brandon Haskell was able to save the toddler, but the last child, Paxton Knight, was trapped inside the truck and was disappearing before everybody's eyes into the water. Joe later told reporters at Fox 13, As an emergency responder, you are trained to respond. Without hesitation, he went in. While standing on the cab's roof, the murky water was much too dark to really see through, and it was almost completely over his head. But he dove six or seven times over a course of around 10 minutes before finally emerging with the boy's body. While in the submerged truck, visibility was dang near zero. Finally, on that last dive, by some stroke of luck, he felt something floating and grabbed onto it and yanked it out. He hugged Paxton close to his chest and began swimming back up to the surface. Once he was out of the vehicle and back onto the beach with all the bystanders, Fiona Pierce and Chance Peterson began to do CPR and resuscitation. Fiona received CPR training as a nurse, and Chance was luckily able to assist. He was then airlifted to the nearest hospital and put on life support. The fact that Pierce and Peterson had stepped in when they did really helped. It was every bit of a miracle that Joe's presence was there too. It's almost as if they weren't supposed to be there when this accident occurred. The story's actually kind of weird. They originally tried to visit the reservoir a day before, but a flat tire put a wrench in those plans, so they had to come a day later. The EMT, 
who arrived on scene, said Paxton had a pulse within the first minute of their arrival. Considering how long the child was submerged, this is truly some sort of miracle. Thankfully, Paxton went on to make a full recovery and is doing okay. He was released from a hospital, I think about a week after, shortly after the Knight family would come and be reunited with that brave park ranger. Joe and the others involved had a nice award ceremony and a banquet. As of a September 3rd update, the families who are now all friends are going to be planning to do this every year. For all the dark and horrifying cases we cover on this channel, it's nice to hear a happy ending for once. It's true, Joe and the others are heroes, no doubt. But that kid was underwater for 10 minutes. He fought like hell to survive and is a real warrior. Paxton is one tough little dude and I think he's going to be doing some great things in his lifetime. The Three-Eyed Snake. Next, how about we do something a little bit more fun to break up some of these heavier topics. This one is the oldest one on the video. This comes from March 2019 and definitely qualifies as weird and mysterious. Have you ever seen The Simpsons? Have you ever seen that episode where they have that three-eyed goldfish? Well, that might not be too far from reality. I'm here to tell you about something a little different though. A three-eyed snake. And of course, he's named Monty Python. And of course, with such a crazy natural thing being discovered, it's no surprise that this ended up being in Australia. According to an ABC News article, the roughly three-month-old carpet python was discovered on the Arnhem Highway near a small town, I kid you not, called Humpty Doo. It measured almost 16 inches long upon discovery. Because there are several cases of dual-headed snakes, it was assumed this three-eyed specimen would be the result of two heads fusing together. But, according to an x-ray, it was an actual third eye socket altogether. It's extremely unlikely that any environmental issues had anything to do with Monty's condition, and it's very likely that it was just a natural defect. Snake expert Brian Fry from the University of Queensland said, Every baby has a mutation of some sort. This one is just particularly coarse and misshapen. He also suggested the third eye could be the last bit of an absorbed twin, but he wasn't all that surprised by Monty's existence overall. Park officials likewise said that this was probably something that happened during the embryonic stage. Apparently malformed reptiles are actually relatively common, though if you are a fan of conspiracy theories, you might want to consider this as a sign of the coming apocalypse, or maybe something stranger. Go ahead, I won't judge you. Regardless of how the third eye came to be, it's downright strange and a nice break from some of these more brutal things we've come to find. Unfortunately though, Monty's condition made it hard to eat, and he died only two weeks after being discovered. Rest in peace, Monty. A lot of cocktails in the camper. Next, we have a delightful tale involving some, um, a lot of cocktails. Now, near a trail somewhere just outside of Los Angeles comes a headline you wouldn't expect to see on a normal day. Or I guess, you know, Los Angeles. Weirder things have happened, to be fair. I'm sure most of you already know what they are. But if you don't know what a melodic cocktail is, let me explain real quick. Sometimes people usually, with bad intentions, fill the bottom of a glass bottle with a flammable liquid, stuff one end of a rag into the neck, and cap it off with a tar-like substance. Then, all they need to do is light the other end of the rag on fire and throw the bottle at the intended in target. In theory, the glass will break, the flammable liquid will catch fire, and boom. Big ouchie for the target. On May 21st of this year as well, an anonymous civilian discovered something quite unsettling. 
They walked up upon multiple melodic cocktails. They immediately alerted a park ranger as quickly as they could. They ran all the way down to the Santa Monica Mountain Recreation Center. Upon inspecting the designated trail, the park ranger discovered upwards of eight devices and some gasoline containers not too far away. It looked like they were trying to be hidden in a nearby wooded area. The items were quickly recovered by the LAPD, and, of course, assisting agencies also lent a helping hand. Evidence left at the scene somehow led authorities to a particular suspect. This suspect was named Maxim Klemenko, who was then arrested for possession of destructive materials. This charge constitutes a felony offense in California, and carries a maximum prison sentence of four years. Much like the Yellowstone mystery, foot, there is very sparse details on this story and researching it was very hard. The most recent article I found was dated March 26th of this year. It relays something along the lines of the LAPD have yet to really release how they knew Clemenko was their man. And as of right now, we don't have any updates, but if we do get some, potentially we'll cover them in a future video. Talladega Murder Camp Finally, I saved the most brutal and most heavy case for last. I want to tell you about something that happened on August 14th of this year. So, very, very recently. It's as wild as it is tragic, and I'm sure this is going to hit you right in your feelings. So I'm just going to start at the beginning and do my best not to spoil anything at the end. It all begins with a young college couple returning for their next semester of schooling. They were attending the University of Central Florida when they made an impulsive and somewhat random decision to visit the Talladega National Forest in Alabama. 22-year-old Adam Simji and his 20-year-old girlfriend, Michaela Paulus, were driving down a forest road near the Chiaha Mountains when a woman suddenly flagged them down, looking desperate for help. Once at the woman's car, the couple spent well over an hour trying to help. They even went so far as contacting relatives for tips to get this car started and working for this woman. But ultimately, when nothing worked, they offered to get help at the nearest ranger station for the woman. That's when the woman, who would later be identified as Yasmin Hyder, pulled out a gun, told the couple to drop their phones, asked for their banking passwords, and began walking them into the woods. As it would turn out, Adam would actually be armed, and he chose this moment to draw his weapon. He yelled for Yasmin to get on the ground, but the woman simply just did not comply. Instead, she fired a shot from her own gun, and though her gun jammed at first, Adam was struck once while Yasmin was struck a few times. During this exchange, Michaela would realize there was another woman there with them, who would later be identified as Crystal Diane Perkins. They were watching just in the distance nearby. When the gunfight ended, Yasmin called for their accomplice, but apparently, after a brief conversation or some sort of confrontation potentially, apparently, Crystal ran deeper into the forest. Adam was also grievously injured, and at this point, Michaela was finally able to call for some help. It was roughly 11.30 a.m. when Clay County Rescue Squad, Shinbone Valley, Volunteer Fire Department, Linville Police, and Sheriff's deputies were dispatched to the area. Upon arrival, they discovered Michaela trying to perform CPR on Adam, but he never regained consciousness after his wounds. He was unfortunately, uh, pronounced dead at the scene. 
Yasmin was found nearby with multiple gunshot wounds to her torso. She was flown to Birmingham Hospital where she went under many different surgeries under the watchful eye of the police and investigators. For the next several hours, police searched all over the Talladega National Forest for the other assailant who fled. Investigators soon learned that a group of people may be living off the grid somewhere in the Talladega Forest, and based on some local reports and rumors, they were said to be armed and dangerous. Tracking dogs from the Alabama Department of Corrections and the Alabama Law Enforcement Aviation Unit joined the search. Eventually, the tracking team led them to a cluster of tents deep within the National Forest. Surprisingly though, it was only a half mile away from where this robbery took place. Officers would later go on to describe this as some sort of a base camp. On their approach, they noticed Crystal standing there near the tents. They immediately ordered her to the ground. But before she could even comply, her five-year-old son comes walking out with a shotgun. Luckily, the little boy puts it down and there is no one harmed. Crystal was initially arrested for child endangerment by the Clay County Sheriff's Office. She was initially taken to the Clay County Detention Center. She would be there until the Department of Human Resources could further look into the case. Obviously, they would eventually take custody of her child. Later, authorities would add one count of murder, two kidnappings, and two counts of robbery to her list of charges, which are the same ones Yasmine would receive. Adam's family started to go fund me which was successfully able to cover his funeral funds, as well as assist with Michaela's therapy as she tries to move on from this situation. I can't imagine the trauma she must have endured going through such a situation such as this, but I wish her all the best in her recovery. It will probably be some time before we get any more details about this case since it is so recent. Not even the woman's attorney information is available yet until August 17th due to a gag order issued by Judge David Law. It prevents defense lawyers and law enforcement from making comments on the case. On an interesting side note, while it is legal to camp in the Talladega National Park, you have to move every 21 days or so. So, if you do make a plan on living in Talladega, just make sure you're pretty nomadic. Oh yeah, and uh, don't try to rob or kill anybody. Well guys, that's it for tonight. You know I'll have another video for you guys in a few days. These were some truly disturbing and strange things found by park rangers. And honestly, like I said in the intro, I salute you guys. Your job is absolutely insane. And I couldn't imagine the strange and crazy things that aren't even reported on a daily basis. I'm sure there's tons of them out there. If you guys have any topic ideas that you'd like to see in this type of format, uh, please comment them down below. Definitely let me know how you liked this video. I really, really would appreciate some feedback and knowing how I can improve the channel, how I can make these types of videos better. And don't worry, I will get better with the editing. If you're new to the channel and you haven't subscribed yet, be sure to hit that red button. Slap that like button button like it owes you a month's worth of lunch money and don't forget to comment down below let me know what you thought about these things if you have any strange things that have been discovered by park rangers or police officers or anything in between let me know i'd love to make another video on it with that all said and done and out of the way thank you guys as always for supporting the swamp and i'll see you guys soon with another creepy episode Hey guys, since you enjoyed the first installment of the Strange Things Found in Nature series, I thought I'd make a part two. Personally, I know the stuff I found in episode one had me floored. And if you missed episode one, be sure to check it out. You can find a link in the description. You're not going to want to miss those. 
Now whether you're hiking, taking a nice walk on the beach, or anything in between, there is never a shortage of strange and downright disturbing things to be found in Mother Nature. This time around we have everything from plane crashes, to mysterious photos, and maybe even murder. But of course we're gonna save the darkest for last. Before we get into these stories though, be sure to elbow the like button in the face like you're trying to survive in a mosh pit. Subscribe if you're new, it helps the channel grow immensely and get ready for these strange and downright disturbing things found in Mother Nature. To start this video off, I'll ease in with a few more exciting stories that seem a bit more harmless until you get a little bit deeper. Now, like I said, these images may seem innocent, but sometimes there's, um something darker lurking just beneath the surface. While you're out in the wilderness, we don't realize that we're experiencing something ominous until sometimes after the fact. When you return home, you sit down, you go through your pictures you took in nature, and you might just catch something you didn't see in person. Well, that's pretty much what happened in this case. There's no better example of this than a short horror film inspired by a true story called Alone Time. The earliest copy I could find of this film series was in September 2014 on the director's YouTube channel known as Rod Blackhurst and is labeled as an unparalleled production in association with Frank and Paul Films. I don't know what any of that means but hopefully it means something to somebody. It was also uploaded to a few other channels, I just wanted to make sure we got the correct credit due is why I'm mentioning all this. Alone Time shares the story of a young woman who is living a monotonous routine. To break this routine, they decide that they're going to take a camping trip. I'm sure we can all relate to this, jumping out to the great outdoors to try to recharge and escape the monotony of everyday life. So, she packs her bags, heads out of town, and is seen purchasing one of those little yellow temporary cameras that you used to have to bring back to Walgreens or whatever convenience store that you bought it from to get the pictures developed, before finally enjoying a beautiful view of a secluded lake. Over the next few days, she seems to find that inner peace in the solitude of nature nature that she was looking for. She takes one last beautiful picture of her campsite before finally leaving with a smile on her face and a new sparkle in her eye. She goes back to town, has the film developed, so she can savor each one of those memories that she made. Eventually, we'll see her flipping through these amazing pictures of lakes, country roads, green mountains, a serene river, and everything you can imagine. But unfortunately, her face turns grave when she notices something isn't right with this next picture. It's a picture of her from when she fell asleep, but she wasn't the one that took the picture. She starts to realize there are a bunch of these types of pictures and she throws them down on the floor in shock and she realizes the implications of what potentially is going down here. I know I won't be doing any solo camping anytime soon after watching this little thing, but seriously, it's only 13 minutes long. It's definitely worth checking out and gives good context to what we're about to talk about. Something incredibly similar happened to a man in the 1980s when he visited Grand Canyon. This account actually comes from a Redditor by the name of Zombie Gandafi, who is actually the nephew of the man this happened to. Allegedly, the uncle was on a road trip with some friends and decided to stop at the Grand Canyon for some photos. They only spent about roughly 15 minutes in the area. They were taking pictures, having fun, small talk, and they never saw anybody in the area, apparently. They believed they were entirely alone in this portion and felt lucky for it. After returning home and developing all the pictures they took in the Grand Canyon, the uncle noticed to something um quite freaky there was a pale tall white man wearing what looked like some sort of long 
black hooded cloak in the picture not far from them. This led many Redditors to think that this may be some sort of Grim Reaper caught on film or maybe some harbinger of death. Many speculated that it was sitting there lying in wait for the uncle to fall to his death or maybe even cause him to fall itself. Granted, this would be a straightforward situation to fake and wouldn't be too terribly hard to pretend like they didn't see anybody there, but assuming that it is not a hoax, a skeptic might believe the mysterious man was simply just a tourist that happened to be in the picture and photobombed without really realizing. But why would they be dressed that way? It seems like they're more dressed for a Halloween party than they are the Grand Canyon. Honestly, anytime I see this photo or any conversation around it, it just raises many more questions and little to no answers. Was this stranger merely in the area to photobomb and scare people? If so, why didn't they make themselves known all the way back then? Maybe he saw the uncle and at first decided to back off, noticing they were taking a picture. Who knows, there could be a very benign and simple answer to this. But what, what gets me the most is why didn't anybody in that group notice him standing by? Don't you think somebody would have noticed a person lurking just a couple of feet away? Because in the picture, he looks fairly obvious. I don't think you could miss him. But definitely be careful next time you get close to the edge. You never want to slip and you never know who might be lurking behind you. Most discoveries on this list are things people found by accident. However, this next one, everyone from elderly hikers to families have tried to deliberately make it through these treacherous trails to visit this next site. Located near the Great Smoky Mountains in Waynesville, North Carolina, are the remains of a Cessna 414A plane that actually crashed on November 24th, 1983. Locals say a combination of hazardous weather and pilot error contributed to this tragedy. Apparently, this crash took the lives of both pilots and the single passenger on board. Due to the rough terrain of the crash site, only the bodies of the victims and the plane's engines could ever actually be recovered. The fuselage left at the area of the crash site is an eerie reminder of what can happen when Mother Nature and pilot aren't prepared for what's thrown at them at any given time. Despite being common knowledge, the trail remains completely unmaintained and remains a popular tourist attraction in the area. I don't want to share the exact details or directions just in case anybody wants to go after watching this video, because I'm not trying to be liable for anybody breaking a toe out there, you feel me? But the information is rather easy to find online, so best of luck you explorers out there. If you're daring enough to take on this trip, take a hiking buddy and definitely tell others where you're going. It's a challenging climb and rather easy to get lost on. Even the most experienced of hikers have been known to have a hard time on this hike. There are countless drop-offs near the trail, so you have to be very careful and make sure you're wearing the right clothing, footwear, equipment, and basically have the ability to be able to traverse these types of terrains. This is not for somebody who has an injury or can't be very mobile. Those who do wish to try their luck at this spot though, should probably start from the parking lot at Water Rock Knob Creek. It's off the Blue Ridge Parkway, which is also a beautiful drive for anybody looking for beautiful nature in the mountains. And though it does seem chill and typical in the beginning, it quickly becomes one of the hardest hikes that you will ever experience. It requires taking giant steps over roots climbing over massive rocks, squeezing under fallen trees, traversing steep, muddy sections that involve a decent amount of sliding, jumping, and just all-around mobility. Safe to say, if you have 99 agility on RuneScape, you'll probably be okay, though. All jokes aside, if you do make it past all of this, hikers are rewarded with the ghostly remains of the Cessna, almost 40 years old now. 
sitting there, untouched and being devoured by nature. Oh, and if you do happen to make this trip, please be respectful of the area. Vandalism has become such a problem in the past, and it just, just, it just makes everything look ugly. Why would you want to besmirch something so beautiful as this? Our third topic takes us all the way to Talk, Alaska, a place I've personally never heard of before. A small town just 93 miles from the Canadian border at roughly 6.05 a.m. on April 26, 2021, state troopers were informed about a potentially buried freezer in the woods. They located about 100 feet within the woodland near mile 112 of Talk, Alaska. It was on a small road known as Talk Cutoff Road, and I'm almost positive you guys will be able to guess what was inside. Unfortunately, the freezer contained human remains, which were then transported to the state medical examiner's office in Anchorage. Although it was considered a homicide from the beginning, investigators never really gave much information. They didn't confirm the victim's gender, age, or even race that I know of. They didn't release any information initially about whether this could be tied to some sort of local missing persons case or not either. Though, to be fair, that would be for a good reason ultimately, as no one had reported this body missing, which would later be identified as a man, even though after later research it turned out that this man's last known sighting was all the way in 2018. In mid-August, the victim was publicly identified as 67-year-old Michael Lynn Teff Teller, and of course his family was notified promptly. Lead investigator Michael Iverson would eventually confirm that the victim was indeed murdered. They appealed to the public for any information they may have. Iverson stated that Michael was an Anchorage transient, and they believe he had been dead for quite some time before the gruesome discovery. Authorities were hoping to learn what business he may have had in talk to figure out potential who we may have been meeting and who may be the culprit. They have gone through several avenues in this case, but apparently they are stuck at a standstill. To this day, it remains a complete mystery how Michael Teff Teller ended up in that freezer that day and how long he had been there. It's genuinely unsettling to think that his killer or killers are still out there running free. Since this case remains ongoing, many details have been withheld from the public still, but this is definitely a case I'll keep my eye on for the future to be sure to let you know of any updates or or if it gets solved. This case isn't the only case of human remains being found in the woods though. And oddly enough, in a freezer. In February 2020, 75-year-old Jean Soren Mathers was found dead during a wellness check in Toole, Utah. It was determined that she died of natural causes, but what police found in her home would leave them truly shocked. There was a second deceased body in her freezer. The body was later identified as Jean's 69-year-old husband, Paul Edward Mathers. His body was wrapped in a black garbage bag and then wrapped with a second one with duct tape for security. The popular running theory right now is that Jean kept her husband's death a secret so that she could continue to collect his veteran disability checks. Mathers was terminally ill with end-stage bladder cancer. He was last seen at the hospital on February 4th, 2009. An autopsy had placed his death only about a month later. The thought about him being in the freezer though, for a decade? 
is what truly creeps me out about this story. Additionally, the cause of death remains unknown. It is likely that he died from his terminal cancer, though. That much we can assume. But of course, this was never confirmed post-mortem, so who knows what actually happened. Likewise, asphyxiation couldn't be ruled out either because of the plastic bags. Technically, it could have been placed there before his death, but I guess we'll never truly know. There were also lethal levels of narcotics found in his system as well, which is pretty shady. But in a 2008 letter from December written by Mathers himself apparently, he did say that his wife had nothing to do with his death, although that is what my drama queen mother may try to accuse. This seems to indicate that maybe Mathers was aware of what his wife was going to do with his body, and maybe that they kind of collaborated on it together so she could still get money while he was gone. I mean, the estrangement from his family would definitely have helped that whole missing person thing, because nobody would really notice he was missing, how could they? But again, we can never really know for sure. Both people that participated are now no longer with us. It's entirely possible Mathers never wrote that letter, and this could all just be some devised plan of his wife, but ultimately it remains one of those unanswerable questions in life. Now it's time for our most gruesome discovery for this episode. I was highly debating making this one the last one, but I don't know. I just couldn't bring myself to end a video on something so, uh, disturbing. Let's just call this one a palate cleanser, if you want to call it that. Imagine you're just out minding your own business, walking through the woods, enjoying nature, and then suddenly you walk upon something that you don't even know how to explain. You stumble upon a cow's tongue pinned to a tree. Now, that might sound strange to you, but that's precisely what happened in 2016. To a Brooklyn resident, the tongue appeared to have been stitched down the middle. And apparently, this wasn't even the first time someone in that area has made a discovery like this. Apparently, multiple calf tongues were found nailed to trees in Manhattan's Inwood Hill Park. But apparently, the discovery of these animal tongues being nailed to trees and such aren't even that uncommon in the New York area. At one point, over 40 tongues were found in Pelham Bay Park, and Brooklyn's Prospects Park has also had its fair share of animal tongues being nailed to trees. One notable one is apparently a bovine tongue full of just all kinds of needles. Who knows what those needles once held? Apparently, decapitated goat and rooster heads have also been found in every single one of these parks. And apparently, New York isn't even the only place. This has been reported in California and Texas recently as well. You'll probably be relieved to hear that in most of these cases, the tongues are believed to be store-bought and not ripped directly from a cow's mouth. Well, I guess they are, but you know what I mean. Religious experts have actually theorized that this is being used in a ritual of sorts. Traditionally, cow tongues symbolize the silencing of an adversary. This can encompass everything from ending somebody's smack talk to stopping somebody from testifying in court. Religions that practice such things are Santeria, Umbanda, Voodoo, and Candomblé. But true believers often prefer different terms. The tongue isn't left to cause fear or harm, but rather to instruct the spirits. The target doesn't need to see the tongue or even know that it's there. Photographs, names, and handwritten messages are often left with the tongues. But understandably, there was nothing left behind that could really identify the culprits who left these tongues there in the first place. It's entirely possible that these tongues were placed by pranksters trying to be copycats and make fun of the whole thing. But even so, I can't help but wonder who is trying to silence their enemies. 
Dr. Miguel De La Torre, professor of social ethics and Latino studies at Denver's Lith School of Theology, commented on the 40-plus tongues left in Pelham Park, 40 tongues is overkill in my opinion. Maybe it's for the grand jury. So now you see what I meant by not wanting to leave you hanging with this as a finale. It's kind of a cliffhanger. Instead, for this last case, let's get back to the simple idea of finding human remains, yay. And I think you guys will appreciate this last one. This remarkable incident from Lemhi County in Idaho has missing 411 vibes all over it. Around 4 p.m. on September 17, 2021, the Lemhi County Sheriff's Office reported a bow hunter's discovery. These remains were discovered when a good Samaritan was leaving one hunting area going through another via a shortcut that he liked to use every so often. Unfortunately though, due to the fading light, and rugged terrain, authorities couldn't gain access to the scene of the body until the following day. Despite the delay, it didn't take authorities very long to identify the victim here. They identified the remains as 39-year-old Raymond Jones, a man who went missing 53 years prior, on September 7, 1968. The most heartbreaking aspect of this whole case is that September 7th is not only Jones's birthday, but his son's birthday as well. Sadly, they can only share 12 of those birthdays before he would go tragically missing. Of course, September would always be a rough time for the family. How could it not be? It's actually kind of insane, and such a crazy coincidence, that his body was found nearly to the day that he went missing, and also, of course, right around their birthday. Jones would disappear while hunting mountain goats in Lemhi County, Idaho, not very far away from a place called Hayden Creek. Others had been with him on this trip, but I guess he was alone when he went missing. Considering his remains were found at the bottom of a steep incline, officials think that he may have seen a mountain goat in the area, tried to pursue it, and potentially fell to his untimely death. But of course this is only speculation, we can't really say for certain what happened. And I definitely don't want to be one of those people online that perpetuates some sort of crazy theory around this. We can never be too sure what actually transpired that day. It could be nefarious, it could just be bad luck. We never truly know. The initial search was aided by tracking dogs. It was unsuccessful and ultimately called off due to the bad weather. Lots of snow was coming in, which would make this search even harder. And as we have learned, when snow comes in, sometimes it just erases all the evidence altogether. The search would resume again after footprints were found in a previously searched area, so it gave them hope that maybe, just maybe, he was alive. After the official search ended, 70 searchers, helicopters, the whole nine yards were hired by the Jones family to continue searching. Unfortunately, no further signs of him were ever found until this recent turn of events. Two days later, Jeffrey would receive a final birthday card in the mail, presumably sent before his dad's death. Though Raymond's first wife passed away in 1986, his second wife, son, and one sister were at least able to hear the good news and get closure. If nothing else, this case proves that there is always hope to be had at the end of the tunnel. You just have to keep searching, keep looking, and don't give up. Another heart-wrenching and mysterious case comes from this past April. 
when a man found a little boy's body in a suitcase while he was hunting mushrooms. The discovery was made in a nearby wooded area of Washington County. According to the media, the child was African American and anywhere between 5 to 8 years old. On April 18th, Indiana State Police Sergeant Carrie Hules appealed to the public for any sort of information that may help identify this young child. But sadly, to this day, no one has come forward with any information. No one has reported the boy missing, and quite frankly, we don't know anything about what happened. The autopsy was performed the following day after being discovered, but it was rather inconclusive. It was able to determine that the boy died probably the week previous, but any sign of death or what actually caused that death is rather unknown. The young boy was laid to rest in Salem Cemetery. His gravestone reads, in loving memory to a little boy known to none but God. Given that this case is so recent, it might have an update in the future and be a potential video for us. So, fingers crossed that we get some good news. It's safe to say there is no true haven on this earth. No matter where you go, the danger in the constant fight of survival is always just around the corner. We live a life where we are ever battling death, trying to prolong that battle as long as we can. But ultimately, we always lose that battle. We must respect our planet, we must respect nature, and we must respect the lives of others who live on this planet with us. Whether that be our fellow human being, whether that be the animals around us, it is very important. Something I noticed quite a bit while researching and recording this video is the amount of debris and trash left over in a lot of these places. I know it might not seem like a big deal to many, but this, in my opinion, is a massive problem. Please throw away your trash or keep it in your pocket until you can. It really does do wonders to the world. Be sure to like and subscribe if you're new. If you enjoyed this video and you want to see it continue, please be sure to let me know what you'd like me to look into in the comments down below. If you have a case, a story, or anything like that that you'd like to send to me, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or r slash thedarkswamp on Reddit. Many thanks to Justine Perry who helped me write today's episode, and also additional thanks have to go to Paige Turner for the additional writing and edits. They are both amazingly accommodating and help me be able to put out these videos at the rate that I do. Be sure to show them some love as well. Have you ever found anything strange or unexplainable while out in the woods? Let me know in the comments, as I'd love to discuss with you. Be sure to download this on your favorite podcast platform and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as it helps us grow in there. And I'll see you soon with another creepy episode.